come to worship you, set it aside to fellowship with fellow believers and that we might be encouraged and motivated in speech and also from the preaching of your word this morning from the pulpit, um, the singing of spiritual hymns that are uh, uplifting, theologically rich, that acknowledge you for who you are. Uh, we thank you and praise you for being the God of our salvation, and we thank you and praise you for the uh, source of our salvation, the obedience and love of Jesus Christ poured out upon us, even unto death on the cross, so that we might be saved, even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a uh, mercy, what grace is ours, and uh, we just want to respond in love and obedience, and we want to give this time now over to you in anticipation of your Holy Spirit working and uh, stimulating love and good works in response to what you have done for us, and we give this um, these, these desires over to you in Jesus' name. All right, so uh, just a quick recap then of where we were at. Um, before we were saved, as we all know, or as you may have heard, or as you have personally experienced, we were enslaved to sin and in Satan's kingdom. Now, however, we've died as a result of salvation and we possess a new heart, right? And uh, with this new heart, the, the, new, the heart of stone being removed and the heart of flesh being uh, instilled within us, we have or ought to have corresponding new desires and affections. And yet, at the same time, we recognize that there's this tension that even while we were um, redeemed and are redeemed, and while we have been given a new heart, Nevertheless, we recognize that even over many years of living uh, as slaves to sin or being in the world system and just embracing it and not knowing anything different, we still hold on to residual ways of thinking and talking, behaving, and uh, these aren't aligned with our new natures. And uh, Galatians 5.17, uh, very, Paul points this out as he writes this out to the Galatians, and he says, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And this is our, our new reality. And for these are in opposition to one another, so that you do not do the things that you please. In other words, we are now called to... Uh, have a new mindset, have a new approach, a new vision for our lives in, in uh, keeping with and consistent with God's desire and plan for us. And uh, we have developed, and we, we know this, we, we recognize that we've developed bad habits over the course of many years that need breaking. And uh, we are called by God to fight against the fleshly desires that we just naturally, normally have. And uh, we can experience victory when we exert effort. We are called to exert effort and to depend upon the Holy Spirit uh, and his indwelling power. And we'll, we're going to talk about this. But we, we depend upon him to empower us, to give us that, that, that motivation and that energy to be able to resist the, the 
our natural fleshly tendencies that we still retain. And we kind of talked about the point that as believers, when we sin, it, we sin because we choose to sin, but not because we have to. In other words, prior to coming to saving faith, we just sin because we're sinners. We're just naturally wired that way. We don't do anything different. Uh, you know, dogs wag their tails when they're happy, and, they, and uh, animals salivate when a bowl of food is put in front of them. It's just their nature. They like that. That's just that's natural. And as, as believers, uh, we are now uh, freed from this autonomic response, if you will. Like we are now free to choose not to sin, whereas prior to salvation, we didn't have a choice. We just naturally did it. We were in, we, we lived for ourselves or we lived for somebody else or for something else. So we also recognize that while God has made provision for our holiness through his Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we ourselves have a responsibility to resist sin as well. So it's a, it's, it's a, a partnership. It's a two-pronged approach to living our lives now as believers where we have to uh, buckle down. We need to put on the armor of God. We need to recognize and understand who we are in Christ as a new reality, and we have to do our part. God will not do for us what we, He tells us and calls us to do for ourselves. And once we recognize and accept our responsibility to live godly and holy lives, then we begin our journey on the path that leads to ever-increasing Christ-likeness. And this is what we're called to do, to, to, right? Uh, according to, to Romans eight twenty nine, for example, and uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And so we, the last time uh, we, we ended off basically just noting that the seat of indwelling sin that still resides within us, the seat of that is our hearts. Even though our hearts have been transformed and renewed and regenerate, we still have residual vestiges because our hearts constitute everything that makes us spiritual creatures. Um, it's not just a, an organ that, that pumps blood and, and, and beats regularly and keeps us alive in our, in our physical bodies. But our heart, according to the Bible, also talks about and addresses our minds, our emotions, our consciences, our will, uh, everything that makes us tick and uh, causes us to have a certain worldview about who God is, about who other people are, how, what our relationship is to, to nature and all those things that all constitutes what makes up the heart. And um, it's important to note that the Bible points out to us and reminds us that our hearts are, in fact, actually very deceitful and they are also unsearchable. Uh, according to Jeremiah uh, chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, it says there, the heart is more deceitful than all else and it is desperately sick, or some translations say wicked. Who can understand it? And then, it goes on in verse 10 there. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So God himself is the only knower, the true knower 
of each and every individual's hearts. We ourselves don't even know it. 1 Corinthians 4 verses 3 3 to 5 says, Paul writes to them and he says, but to me it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I'm conscious of nothing against myself. In other words, he's thinking, I, I don't know, I don't think I've done anything wrong or anything that I, that I need to ask for forgiveness for. But he says, yet I'm not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. So Paul recognizes that only God himself can truly examine his own heart and motives and everything. Therefore, he admonishes us, as believers, do not go on passing judgment on others before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So there's a, a reckoning, there's an accounting, there's, there's a time when God is going to lay open our hearts and, and he will himself perhaps even point out to us, even as we stand before him, and he's going to point out, you remember when you thought this or when you did this and you thought you were doing it for a good reason? Well, you know, actually, believe it or not, even while you thought you were doing it for a good reason, you actually did it for this reason because of this, 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 and this prior event. You didn't even know how that came to play, but it did, and this is you know, and you just kind of makes it, and you're going, wow, <laughs> I did not, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that about myself. You know me, you created me, you know all things, God, and so I take your word for it, and that's good. And so only God truly knows our hearts, and, and we're just not in that kind of a position. And so being deceitful, the heart excuses, it rationalizes, and it justifies our various words and actions. We do that quite consistently, even as, as uh, believers. And uh, it blinds us to entire areas of sin in our lives. And it causes us to deal with sin, and this is the point in some respects, only in halfway measures, or to think that mental assent to the word of God is the same as obedience. In other words, when we hear something from the word, you know, we hear something from the pulpit, it's preached or we read it in devotions or something like that, and we're saying, oh yeah, 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 that's, that's right. I, I need to do this or I need to ask for forgiveness for that or, or, or whatever. The problem is that oftentimes um, we just acknowledge that. You know, we, we go so far as to say, yeah, I ought to, I, I, you need to, I need to make some changes, I need to go and talk to so-and-so and ask for forgiveness or make a change in my life, and that's where it stops. And uh, that's not good. Knowing that indwelling sin occupies a heart that is deceitful and unsearchable should make us extremely wary. And we need to ask God to daily search our hearts for sin so that we that we cannot or will not see for ourselves. We just, we just have to acknowledge the fact that we are blind to our own inadequacy. Sometimes we just think more highly of ourselves than we ought, even in our, even in our, our hopefully regenerate and, and, and state of, of humbleness and, and the desire to be, uh, to, to want to ascribe to, to God the things that he says for himself. Um, we find it difficult. 
And, and David's prayer in, in Psalm 139, 23, and 24, as many of you have probably heard and are aware of, really captures the sentiment that we ought to be expressing, I think, on a very regular, if not daily basis, and that is, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive or wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's, that's David's prayer. David was a man of God. He was a man after God's, after God's own heart. And, and he recognized his own shortcomings and failures to some extent, not always, um, but, but he did. He, he, he uh, recognized the need for, for laying bare his heart before God. And so God's primary means of searching our hearts this way is through his word. And so this is a really important point to make. And as we read it under the power of the Holy Spirit, that the word of God, as we know from Hebrews 4.12, is living and active, right? It is sharper than any two-edged or double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit. In other words, the very nuances of, of who we are and what we're created to be in, in, in God's image and joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So that goes to reinforce, once again, the importance, the criticality of being in the word. And as we pray for God to search our hearts, we must continually expose ourselves to the searching of his word in connection with that. We must be careful to let the Holy Spirit do this searching. If we try to search our own hearts apart from the Bible and apart from the, the work and power of the Holy Spirit, we are apt to fall into one of two traps. The first is this trap of, and, and some of us, let's admit it, have fallen into this trap, and that is one of sort of a, this morbid introspection or discouragement, where we're kind of looking at ourselves and we're going, you know, you feel like just kind of whacking yourself up the side of the head or beating your head against the wall and say, stupid, 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 you know, or whatever. You just kind of get discouraged with yourself and you feel like you're a failure and, and, and you're no good and... and that's, that's not healthy, obviously. Um, if we become discouraged and dispirited, then we'll not fight for the battle for holiness. We kind of throw in the, the white towel, if you will, into the boxing ring and say, I give up, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm a loser. And you go and you head your, you know, you feel like Charlie Brown or whatever. You hang your head in shame and you walk away in, in discouragement or something. The second trap that you can fall into is missing the real issues in our lives. And the deceitfulness of Satan and of our own hearts will lead us to focus on secondary issues. And this happens quite frequently as well. So we can get either discouraged and, and um, miss the point, or we, or we focus on these secondary issues. And, and Bridges recounts this following story. He says, I recall a young man who came to talk to me about a sin problem in his life over which he had no control, you know. Who knows? Could be anger, could be gambling, could whatever. He had no control of his sinning issue. But though this problem loomed overwhelmingly in his mind, there were other areas of need in his life to which he was actually blind. So he came in, he presented this problem to, to, to Jerry Bridges, his pastor, said, you know, pastor, I've got a problem. Please help me with, you know, fill in the blank. And, and he's blind to the fact that he's actually got these other problems. The sin that he saw was hurting only himself, 
but the problems he didn't see were actually hurting others every day. And only the Holy Spirit can enable us to see such areas to which we are blind. And the Holy Spirit, of course, will work through brothers and sisters in the Lord, going and talking to somebody, you know, pouring out your heart or, you know, explaining a problem and stuff like that. And that's how God works. And of course, through the reading of his word and that. The seed of indwelling sin then is our deceitful and unsearchable hearts. And, And a second thing that we need to realize is that indwelling sin works largely through our desires. And, and I captured that in, in the last sermon that I did in, in James. But ever since his fall in the Garden of Eden, man has listened to his desires, his feelings, his heart. This is the way the world is wired. This is what the world system and the satanic world system just totally embraces, is this notion of desires and feelings. And uh, desires come to be the strongest faculty in man's hearts, in fallen man's hearts. And the next time you face one of your typical temptations, and and you know what they are, uh, watch for the struggle between your desires, in other words, your heart and its feelings, and your reason, your mind, the thoughts. There will be a very clear distinction there, even as you begin to walk down the road of what you recognize to be a slippery slope or you know uh, been here done that and if, if I keep going down this way I'm gonna I'm gonna trip and fall or do something that I regret but when you feel like you still want to keep doing it it's because you feel like you still want to keep doing it as opposed to going and saying yeah no you know God expects something different obedience is uh, to obey is better than sacrifice and all those types of things and if you give in to temptation it will it will be because of your the fact that desire has overcome logic or reasoning or, or um, wisdom in your, in your mind, in your brain that you have learned from reading the scripture or hearing the, the scripture preached in, in, the, in the struggle for the influence for your will. And the world, the, the satanic world system, recognizes this and it makes appeals to our desires through what the writer of the hebrews calls the pleasures of sin that he refers to in hebrews eleven twenty five. now not all desires of course are evil we know that i mean paul speaks of his personal desire and, and i trust that for most of us our own personal desires to know christ according to philippians 3 verse 10 or of his desire for the salvation of his fellow jews as he articulates very well in romans 10 verse 1 and as we have desires for our friends and our neighbors and family members to come to saving faith in christ jesus those are those are worthy desires those are there's those are desires that we ought to embrace. Uh, the desire that is spiritual children grow to maturity, that for our own physical children, for our own spouses or those whom we love to grow in spiritual maturity, right? According to Galatians 4.19. So not all desires are evil and bad, but we're speaking here, however, the evil desires that just uh, lead us into sin. And that's, and that's obviously what we're on guard against or what we're supposed to be on guard against and james says that we are tempted when we are dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires right james 1 14. so if we're going to win this battle for holiness in which we're engaged we've got to recognize 
that the basic problem actually lies within us, that is, our hearts. It is our own evil desires that lead us into temptation. And we may think that we merely respond to outward temptations that are presented to us. You know, I just came across a, you know, a magazine cover or a nice shiny car or some object of effect, you know, a, a pretty a pretty person of the opposite sex, whatever it is, you know, the, the fact is that our evil desires are constantly searching out temptations to satisfy their insatiable lusts. That's the flesh, our natural fallenness, uh, our flesh, bad habits, bad ways of thinking continually just lead us down these side roads off the main trail, off a uh, pilgrim's journey if you will and we end up going into the slew of despond and all you know the castle of despair or whatever it is and you and you end up in places that you don't want to go necessarily but you have to consider uh, the particular temptations to which you are especially vulnerable and the fact is that each and every one of us is vulnerable probably to s- different temptations, different forms of temptations. They take various, uh, for somebody, the temptation to uh, gamble is, is, is virtually irresistible. They, they're hooked on it. They, they get whatever the thrill is or the, the feeling that comes with winning a, a hand or you know, pulling the lever and hitting a jackpot. That just overrides anything and everything, and they just go seeking it or, you know, whatever, you know, the drug addict or whatever it is. There's, there's different people who are uh, addicted to and prone to being tempted by different things, which somebody else just absolutely has no interest in, wouldn't, wouldn't tempt them in the least. And so it's a very customized, personalized problem that we all tend to have and wrestle with um, by, I guess, kind of a combination of nature and nurture. And, and, and God's aware of, of what our proclivities are and what our weaknesses are and stuff like that. And so that's important just to recognize that what may be tempting for me may not be tempting for somebody else. And then we want to be sensitive to the fact that we may be aware that somebody is or struggles with something and we don't want to be, we don't want to serve as a stumbling block for that person by placing something that isn't an issue for us into their path and causing them to stumble. And even when we're engaged in one way or another with the battle against a particular sin, our own evil desire or indwelling sin will lead us into playing with that very sin. You know, sometimes while sometimes while you're even in the midst of praying to the Lord and confessing a sin, you know, call it an outburst of anger, frustration, anxiety, fill in the blank, you know. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I should not have just yelled at my child or, you know, did did evil thoughts uh, about my co-worker in this way. And it seems like even while you're in the midst of praying that uh, the, the thought begins to dwell and you begin to almost rethink it. And, and you're almost going down the same path, even as you're confessing the path you're just on was a bad one, a sinful one, displeasing to the Lord. And you're already thinking, when can I do this again and get away with it sort of thing, right? I mean, I think most of us probably have been at one time or another in that particular place. And there are, of course, also many 
occasions when we encounter temptations uh, unexpectedly, if you will. And, and when this happens, our evil desires are ready and prompt to receive and embrace them. You know, you're just driving along and somebody pulls in front of you a little too tightly or too quickly and you, you know, the expletive comes out of your mouth or a, a bad thought about how I'd like to reach out and have really extra long arms and just wrap my arms around that person's neck and just shake them a little bit, whatever it is. Maybe that might be one I feel a little particularly stronger about. I'm not sure. You know, maybe, maybe none of you are tempted by that. <laughs> That's just maybe my own personal one. Highway patrol too long, I guess, and the RCMP, I don't know. <laughs> Um, anyways, we're, we're, too, we're too ready to embrace particular uh, ways of thinking and ways of lashing out and all those types of things. So, so just as fire burns, if you will, any combustible material presented to it, so our own evil desires immediately respond to temptation. All right, When just put into the right circumstances, they just seem to flare up and it gets oxygen or, or the material is there and we're just readily uh, set to, to embrace it. Uh, John Owen said that sin carries on its war by entangling our our affections or desires and drawing them away. And hence, said Owen, denying sin must be chiefly directed on the affections. We must make sure that our desires are directed toward glorifying God, he said, and not satisfying the lusts of our bodies. In other words, we need to recalibrate our thinking. We need to think as believers what God would have us think, how God would have us think, what our priorities are, who we are in Christ, and what, what pleases the Lord, not what pleases us. And so it's a, it's a battle that we need to continually uh, wage war against. The third thing that we need to understand about indwelling sin is that it tends to deceive our understanding or reasoning. And this, of course, is the tricky part because even as we read something, say scripture, and we, and we read it and we want to embrace it, we want to recognize and accept it for its truth that it is, um, indwelling sin can oftentimes even just blind us to that. That's why, you know, you're reading, you're reading some passages, in scripture you know a favorite psalm or a, uh, an epistle in the new testament or something and you've read it you enjoy it you move on you you know and then a few years later for whatever reason or uh, it could be a few months later uh, you're in, in church and that particular uh, verse or segment of, of scripture is preached and it's like for the first time you kind of your eyes get opened up and it's like oh man if i'd known that that that, that's just so much more richer and deeper than i originally thought or or had read and that's why um that's why we just our our natural fallenness just kind of prevents us in a sense from kind of just embracing the totality of the richness of god's word for what it is sometimes in the first instance you get it and you just love it and you embrace it you you kind of it it totally makes sense but sometimes it just takes reading and hearing and meditation and reading and more hearing and more meditation and and it's a slog right it's just work but it's in the right direction and and you're and you're growing understanding of of wisdom and and truth that's found in the scripture becomes ever dearer and ever richer and more applicable somehow in your life 
And, um, and that's because we, we just have this natural um, problem, if you will, of, of our reasoning and our understanding is, is somewhat still deceived. We, we don't, we're not free of totally of sin, but God is gracious and he's good and he gives us what we need. And so our in reason, enlightened by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, stands in the way of sin, gaining mastery over us through our desires. So the Scripture combined with the Holy Spirit are the two major obstacles and roadblocks to us slipping back into our sinful ways of thinking and behaving and, and doing and all those types of things. And so therefore, Satan's great strategy is to deceive our minds. And Paul spoke of the deceitful desires of the old self in Ephesians 4.22. That's where he's talking about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. He said that we were at one time deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures in Titus 3.3. And these passages speak of our old life. And, but we must realize that this deceit still wages war against us, though it no longer has mastery over us. And I think it's important. We need to recognize the fact that when we come to saving faith, we don't immediately become perfect. I think there's nobody here who's under that <laughs> delusion or misconception that we're, we're no longer, we're not perfect and we have a long ways to go. But sometimes it's just important to recognize that um, sin doesn't have mastery over us and we have the resources, the, the, the ability, the wisdom in the word, the power through the Holy Spirit to actually resist and to set and, and, and to break new trail, to, to, to enter new ground, if you will, in our spiritual journey and walk that we've, we've never been before. And we have that ability, we have that freedom, we have that, that, that opportunity and responsibility to pursue that. And it's important to realize and recognize that deceit of the mind is carried on by degrees. It's little by little, just as the renewing of the mind oftentimes is little by little. And we are first drawn away from watchfulness and then from obedience. And that's the path that we don't want to go down as believers. We need to, 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 to observe, we need to be aware, and then we need to not just observe, beware, hear the scripture, read the scripture, know the scripture, but we need to do the scripture as well. And um, we become like Ephraim, of whom God said, foreigners sap his strength, but he does not realize it. His hair is sprinkled with gray, but he does not notice it. Uh, in Hosea 7.9, we're drawn away from watchfulness by overconfidence. In other words, we don't recognize ourselves that we are maybe drifting. Our spouses may recognize that we're drifting, Dear, you know, friends and brothers in the Lord uh, may recognize that we may be starting to drift. We, we don't oftentimes ourselves recognize that. It's one of the reasons for fellowshipping together and coming together and not forsaking the assembly of one another. And so that's really, really important. We come to believe sometimes that we're beyond a particular temptation, for example. You look at somebody else's fall and say, ah, oh, I'd never do that. You know, like that person, oh, you know, you read about pastors, uh, you know, high-profile names of people, uh, 
abandoning the faith, becoming apostate and walking away or having an affair or embezzling funds from a ministry and stuff. You're just going tisk, 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 tisk. Boy, oh boy, boy, I can't believe that so-and-so would do that. The reality is we're all potentially prone to maybe doing that if we let our guard down, if we don't have, um, if we're not regularly in the word, if we don't have conversations with people, we don't have, if we're not open and honest with one another. And so, um, Paul warns us, he says, if you think that you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. And so even when helping a fallen brother, somebody that you're coming alongside, they need help. They either come to you or you've seen them trip and stumble in some area in their life. We're to watch ourselves lest we also be tempted, right? According to Galatians 6, 1. So we have to be on guard for our own uh, spiritual health and vitality and mental well-being. And, and of course, we want to be careful not to, again, put un- unnecessary or any stumbling blocks in the, in the path of anybody else. And, and we're often drawn away from obedience by something else, and that is by our abuse of grace. You know, it's freedom. Jude speaks of certain men who... Uh, change the grace of our God into license for immorality, right? Some people believe that uh, once you're saved, A, you're always saved, and God loves me, and he's paid for my sins, past, present, and future. And wow, if Christ died on the cross for all my sins in in my past, and today whatever happens, and tomorrow whatever goes on, Unfortunately, many people are deceived into thinking that that creates an opportunity for you to just go and live the life that you want to live. We abuse grace when we think that we can sin and receive forgiveness by claiming 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, yes, and amen, and thank God for that. But that's not a blank check by God to us to go ahead and live the way that we want, how we want, and do as much as we want, and then ask, you know, plead for forgiveness after the fact. That's not what we're called to do. And we abuse grace when, when, after sinning, we dwell on the compassion and the mercy of God to the exclusion of his holiness and his hatred of sin. And I think that that is very sobering, and that's a very, very timely reminder for us to give consideration to the fact that even while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us, and, and, and our sins are forgiven, the fact is that <clears throat> we can, because of our natural, sinful fallenness, our fleshly state, our corrupt minds, the deceit of the world, and, and uh, the bad habits that we've created— too often we're quick to focus on the fact that God is loving God, compassionate God, merciful, tender-hearted, kind, and we forget the fact too that he is holy and he hates the sin that we committed. And we lose sight of the fact that every sin that we pile on, every sin that we commit, every every you know sinful thought and word and deed that we do this day and tomorrow and and for the rest of our lives those sins while they've been punished and we ourselves don't bear them still cost somebody something right who did it cost christ and it wasn't a mild easy peasy breezy cost it was a significant 
cost. It was an infinite cost, each and every sin that we commit. Why? Because every sin that we commit is against a holy God who has holy standards for us. And if we don't live up to those standards, then we are at risk of his wrath. And we were. But thanks be to God, that wrath is no longer looming over us. We're not sinners in the hands of, of, of a wrathful God, of an angry God. We've been plucked out of that risk of eternal fire. But we're drawn away from obedience when we begin to question what God says in his word. And this was Satan's first tactic with Eve, right? In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Just as Satan or the serpent said to Eve, he says, you shall surely not die. So through the world's value systems and, and the satanic world system and all the, all, everything that's out in the world around us, it says to us, what? It's just a little thing. You're entitled. You deserve it. You know, you're, you're a good person. God will not judge that sin. That's what we're told or we're encouraged to think, either by friends or, or well-meaning people. You know, they, they would normally, people that we would normally hang out with and, and love, or, you know, colleagues at work or whatever, you know, they just kind of go for it. If it makes you happy, if it makes you feel good, you should do it. What's wrong with that? God wouldn't deny you the ability to have some fun or enjoy a bit of, uh, I don't know, comfort or pleasure or something and whatever it is, fill in the blank. And the reality is that that is undermining what God has told us. It's what undermining what the, the, what the scripture has told us. And so we see that through sin, that I mean that those sin no longer has dominion over us, it does wage this guerrilla warfare against us. It continues to undermine, continues to, to, to cut and to cast doubt and to, and to cause us to uh, question, you know, God's, God's goodness, his holiness, his actual commands, um, those things. And if left unchecked, it will defeat us. Our recourse then against this guerrilla warfare, these bad habits and the sinful ways of thinking, is to deal swiftly and firmly with the first notions of indwelling sin. So whenever, whenever you're beginning to go down that path that you know is a, a dangerous path because you know in the past it's led to... Um, recrimination and bad outcomes and and uh a seared con you know a conscience that's been pricked and 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 you and you're regretful or you're remorseful or whatever the idea there is to um heed the warning sign the the, the flashing red light if you will on the dashboard of your of your of your heart and to pay attention perk up and, and recognize that this path that you're on is not a healthy path to be on. And uh, the reality is that if, tempta- if sin find, or temptation finds any kind of a lodging place in the soul, it will use that to lead us into sin. In other words, if we give it just a little bit, if we just feed it, feed the little monster, little tiny monster, just a little bit, and, and allow uh, something that we know is wrong, that God is displeased with. He's told us, don't do it. And we step, we just 
want to relate children, always testing the parents' boundaries of what we're allowed to do or not. And we're testing God's boundaries and we're, we're right up how close to the line can we get in order before God gets angry. Um, it's a bad place to be. So furthermore, we must never consider that our fight against sin is at an end. I think we have to adopt this mindset that we're in it for the long haul. It never gets easy. <laughs> you know, it, I'm sorry, you know, it, it is, that can be discouraging. And for some people, it could be depressing that you could be thinking, you know, I thought that when I got saved, that God was going to do a, a great work in my life and my heart and that I wouldn't sin anymore and that I would just I would become a missionary or, you know, I would, I would just be a great person and everybody, I'd love Jesus for the rest of my life and tell everybody about Jesus and, and I'd share the gospel and, and everybody would be happy. Yeah, no, no, no. Unfortunately, uh, our, our sin or, or the fight that we have against sin isn't at an end and won't end until we are glorified, until we, until we enter his presence, either because Christ comes and takes us to be with him or until such time as our days are finished where uh, you know our, our our works have been completed and the lord is pleased to take us home to be with him and that could be old age or it could be in a car accident we don't know but the fact is that it's going to be a struggle and we need to gird ourselves and prepare our minds and our hearts to wage this war it's an ongoing war it's not fun it's not easy but it is pleasing to the Lord. It's what he expects of us. And he gives us the resources that we actually need to accomplish that. And um, so we, we see then that the heart is unsearchable. Our evil desires are insatiable. And our reason is constantly in danger of being deceived. And, and well, did Jesus say, he said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation, right? He said that to his disciples there in, in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, 41. And, and Solomon warns us, he says in uh, Proverbs 4, 23, Solomon leaves us with this admonition. He says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And we'll, we'll end the lesson this morning with this admonition of this, this reminder that we are to guard our hearts, for from it is the wellspring of life. And that's what we're called to do. All right, next time, Lord willing, whenever that is, uh, we'll look at this idea that uh, there is help. There's help in this daily battle that we're called to wage in this war. And uh, we're, not, we're not left without resources or cast adrift and left to our own devices on that. So there's... The, the cavalry is coming over the hill, right? It's good. The, the trumpets are sounding and, and God is faithful. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, thank you for this timely and much needed reminder of the battle that lies within, Father. We're, we're grateful for the fact that your word doesn't mince words, that uh, you're very clear about the fact that our regenerated spirits, our new hearts are at war with our old self. Uh, the heart of, of stone has been removed, yes, but our ways of thinking and, our, and the habits that have, 
uh, been developed as a result of poor thinking and, uh, and just giving in to our own sinful desires has taken very deep root. But uh, you've called us to be holy, even as you are holy. We have our marching orders. We've been given your word. We've been given the wisdom from your word, the example of your apostles and of other believers. And we're so thankful, Father, for your church, your bride, by which we are drawn together. We can come together and just encourage one another, rebuke, correct, uh, instruct, point out from your word uh, where, where truth lies and, and help us, Father, by your word, through your spirit, to be holy and pleasing unto you, even as we've been called to do. And uh, we, we pray these things in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.